I need to hear that. You guys agree? Yeah. I need to hear that the gates of hell will not overcome, not overpower me. That's a very personal statement that Jesus made. In fact, I want you to turn there, if you could, Matthew 16 this morning. Um, We're going to continue through the short three-week series on the heart of a disciple. And today, I want to talk to you about having a heart of hope. And I think it, it all hinges on, on what happened on that day when Jesus took that rock in his hand and said, upon this rock I, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Um, as you're turning there, I, I want to welcome you. If you're a guest here, it's good to see you. Welcome to the Ridge uh, over these uh, summer weeks and months. We're, we're glad that you've come to join us and hope that you would um, come and visit us again. And um, as you're here this morning, if you would take that guest card in front of you and, and fill that out, we'd simply love to be neighborly back to you. At the end of the service, we're going to have a time of communion and, and continue in worship. And if you would take that card and drop it in a plate either up here or in the back, uh, we'd love for you to do that. Um, but this morning, as you're here, I want you to hear something in these words. Um, I pray that, that would cause your heart to feel secure this morning, to cause your heart and your soul to be satisfied this morning, and so that you walk out of here this morning and, and you look at the circumstances that, that are in your life, that are in your tomorrow, circumstances that aren't even known to you yet, and as you face them, that, that you could face them with a living hope. Because I think that's what Jesus has in mind here when he says this. In a couple ways, I think he has in mind a, a living hope. And, and here's what I mean. Look, look at the text in Matthew 16 and verse 13. So saw in the video, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. The gates of Hades or hell is, was referred to in the video is referring to an area where, yes, uh, pagan worship was, was happening. And, and so there was a context of that. And, and as Jesus and his disciples are in this area. He, he turned to his disciples and he just said, who, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do others say? What, what's the, the vibe? What's kind of the consensus of people? What do they think or who do they think I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the, the prophets. And he said to them, and I love this, a very personal question, but who do you say who do you say that I am? Peter answered, and he said this, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Huge statement, huge confession. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus said back to Peter, blessed are you. Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed it. And so I want to stop right there, because Peter 
confesses, he testifies, this is Jesus, this is who you are, this is who I believe you are. You're the son of the living God, you're the Messiah, the one who has come to save. That's who you are, Jesus, that's who I believe you are. Significant. This isn't something that Peter read in a book merely. It's not something that's just mere factual knowledge. But he says, Jesus says to him, this is something that has been revealed to you. Something that's been made known to you. To your heart, to your soul, and to your mind. That's what God does. He awakens us to this truth. And he had Peter and listen to what he says, and I want you just to, to fix your eyes on this verse this morning, because he says in verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Significant words. Upon this rock I will build my church. Now this little section of scripture has been taken many different paths, in many different ways, by many different people over centuries. Jesus is not saying to Peter, Peter, alone on you will the church be built. And people who follow in your path of office, the church will be built upon that and will set up a pope system and rely on the pope to tell us what God is saying and that that's what the church is built upon. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not what he meant. And so for centuries, a lie has been bought there. So what is he saying? What is Jesus saying to Peter? He's taking a rock, just as we saw, and he says, upon this rock. And, and what does this rock mean? I will build my church. Well, well think about in the context here. Read, read what it says before. Peter has just said this testimony about who Jesus is, this confession of who Jesus is. And so what Jesus is saying, upon this confession, Peter, the confession of who I am, Based on who I am, I am going to build my church, Jesus says. And so this rock refers to the truth of who Jesus is. And so it means a couple of things this morning that Jesus is building the church, his people, upon the truth of who he is, that he is the Messiah, that he's the son of the living God. And so the foundation of the church is upon his word. It's upon scripture. It's upon the truth that testifies about Jesus. And also, he's speaking of Peter. He is. But in what sense is he speaking of Peter? Because this is significant to each of us in this room. Look at Ephesians 2. It'll be up on the screen. I just want you to see this this morning. Paul says... So then you are no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, those who have come to know Christ and who testify, just as Peter testified on that day with Jesus and his disciples there. He says, and you are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The cornerstone is that stone that, that holds two sides together. It's, it's the connection point. It's, it's the thing that, that, that makes everything fit and hold together. And he says, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple into the Lord, in whom you are also are being built together into a dwelling of God and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is building the church on the confession of Peter, on the confession of the apostles, 
on what the prophets spoke about of Jesus. That's what the church is built upon. And he is the cornerstone. I love how Martin Luther put this centuries ago. He says, all who agree with the confession of Peter here are Peter's themselves, setting a sure foundation. And so the true church is built on the lordship of Jesus Christ, the authority of his authentic, his inerrant word. And so our attitude this morning toward Jesus upon who he is and the scripture means everything. It is on this confession that Jesus is building his church. Now, now I want us to soak that in and realize that this morning. That's key. But listen to what he said next because it's a promise. There's this promise. He says at the end of verse 18, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of Hades will not overpower the church. What is Hades? It simply means the abode of the dead. That's what Hades speaks of. It's the place or the realm where the dead are. That's what the word meant. And so Jesus I think he's saying a couple things here. He's saying that death cannot hold in. It it can't come and gate in God's people. Death can't do that to you and I. I want you to think of this verse 2 in light of this. In Hebrews 2.14, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. He took on flesh that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And so when we read this verse this morning, I want you to know that the strength of Satan, he does have strength, he does have power, but that strength and that power of him and his cohorts, the demons, have no prevailing power over the church. The church cannot be defeated by the powers of death, but can't because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because of his resurrection. And so Jesus is saying here, it's not possible for hell to overcome the church, to overpower it. It wasn't possible for death to hold Christ in the grave. It's not possible for death to hold his church in captivity. This is why Paul cries out, O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you read that this morning, when you hear those words that Jesus has built his church upon this confession of who he is and upon the confession of the apostles through the centuries. And he's giving us this promise that the gates of hell will not overpower it. What do you feel? How does that land on you this morning? I I pray as you read that, as you hear that this morning, that, that you know that first of all, Jesus is the hope of the world and a sense of understanding that that you and I are the vehicle we are the means by which that hope is spread to a hopeless people and so it made me ask all week as I was thinking about that it's like, okay, so what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean? And I just came back to this phrase. And, it, and it's something that Peter will write about in his letter. And it's this phrase, living hope. Because I read this in Matthew 16, and I think, okay, this, 
This is talking, this is hope. This is hope. This was Peter's hope. This was the apostles' hope. Jesus was their hope, and they were to be the vehicle to take this hope to the world. But this isn't just a hope that something will happen. This isn't just wishful thinking. No, this is a living hope. And you and I as the church are to carry that to the world without fear of anything that Satan and his cohorts could do to us. And so this morning, I want us to do this in, in part. I want us to remember what we just talked about, but I want us to talk about this living hope because I want us to understand what it, what it means to have that, what that is. And as a result, what are, what are we communicating to the world? And so living hope, what is it? Turn, if you would, you can leave Matthew 16. Turn to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1 Go to Hebrews, go to James, kind of toward the end of the New Testament there, and you'll find 1 Peter next. But I want you to look at verse 3, and I just want to look at a few verses from this letter this morning. Because Jesus wants us to have this hope, and as the church, he wants us to be a vehicle, a means to the world that we might share this living hope with them. Listen to what Peter said about this living hope in 1 Peter 1.3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so Christian hope, according to what Peter says here, is a living hope in our God of great mercy. This living hope is, is literally what he says here is the defining motion of a heart that has been born again. Do you see that in the text? He says that according to God's great mercy, it's caused us to be born again to this living hope. And so what does it mean to be born again? The Bible tells us that, that we are spiritually dead without Christ. Without having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because of sin, we are dead. Romans 10.9, it tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you, that we will be saved. To be saved is to be born again, is to have spiritual life, to where before we didn't, we were dead. But now we're made alive in Christ Jesus. We're born again. And he says here, we're, we're born again to this living hope, to a living hope. Through what, though? We're made new to this living hope through what? What's the means? And listen to what he focuses on. He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's possible for you and I to be born again. It's possible for us to be made alive with this living hope, according to what Peter says, because of one great truth, because of the resurrection of Christ. Jesus died. On the third day, he rose again, conquering death. We believe that. We know that. Some 2,000 years ago, and he's alive. He lives forever. Jesus, his resurrection is significant. Peter wants us to understand that here in this text. As we think about that this morning, I want us to, to see how Peter saw his connection to the resurrection. He, he, he knew it, right? 
He saw the risen Lord. But, but what's our connection to the resurrection this morning as we think back to that as being the source of our living hope? Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 23 through 25. He says, you've been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living, enduring word of God, an emphasis there, through the gospel, through, through this living word that is enduring. It's inerrant. It's active. It's vibrant. And he says, for all flesh is grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord, it endures forever. And Peter says, this is the word which was preached to you. It's the gospel. And so through the death and resurrection of Christ, we have eternal life, just as Jesus has eternal life. And our hope is sure, it's unshakable. And so the gospel has been preached to us. And as we believe in the gospel, as it causes us to be born again and changes us, the resurrection becomes part of our story. And he says here, as a result of this, we have a hope that is sure, it's unshakable. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19 about this. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. And so he's speaking to the Gentiles. He says, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You have been redeemed with something that is imperishable, that's eternal, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ who has purchased you back from slavery and now you have been set free. And so as a result... Peter wants us to know that's why we can have living hope. Because of the blood of Christ, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I can have hope. I want us to think of the other side of that this morning. Because if there is no resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope whatsoever. That's what Paul thought about. So it's what he engaged his culture about because of some thinking in his day and time. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, listen to what Paul talks about. He says, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Some believe that, that you and I would not experience a resurrection from the dead, that there isn't anything after this, and some hold different beliefs on that. Paul continued to say, he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been raised, then our preaching is empty. It's in vain. And your faith also is vain. It's empty. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If in fact the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And so he follows this argument and he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. He concludes, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only we are all, of all men, most to be pitied. 
And so what's the point? The point is the resurrection is vital. It's significant to our faith. It's significant to our hope. That's why Peter says that we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what our hope is in, in a risen Savior. It's a living hope. And why is it living? Because Jesus is alive. He's overcome death on our behalf. Now this hope, when we think about hope, what what strengthens our hope? We know what it's based on. It's based on the resurrection of Christ, who Christ is, his blood, his redemption on our behalf. But what strengthens our hope? Because let's be honest, there are days where we feel hopeless, I imagine. There are days you wake up and you feel like, man, I just do not feel it today. I feel down. And life just seems like it's going to overwhelm us with all that's going on. We, we struggle with, with being content. We, we struggle with being restful. We, in Christ, we struggle with, with trusting Christ. We, we just struggle. We feel overwhelmed. I mean, you name it. We can build upon that. And, and sometimes we just feel like, man, Lord. I was reminded this morning in Psalm 84 that, that God is our, our strength. Those in Zion, he is, he is our strength. And so what strengthens us? As I was following the trail this week of just hope, but, and I saw its connection with faith. Obviously, hope is part of faith. That's why in Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And so I read about what strengthens faith. Faith is strengthened by the Word of God. And so is hope. Think about this verse in Romans 10, 17. Paul says, faith comes from hearing, right? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So where does faith come from? When Paul, Peter just mentioned by the preaching of the word of God. We, we hear the word of God preached. We, we hear the gospel and, and God through his Holy Spirit gives us faith and that's where faith comes about from. And so how is our hope, the faith and hope are tightly mingled, how does our hope be strengthened to each day? It's by the word. It's by the word. The word of God is, is literally the fuel to, to our hope. It strengthens us. As God's word, his promises become something we read about, we hold on to, we look to Christ who purchased his promises. And so Christian hope is not just some wishful thinking. It, it, it's not something we just hope for, but it's about God's promises. And as he promises something, we, we put our trust, our, our hope in that promise and that he will not break his promises. Now think about Romans 8.32 as we think about that, and I want you to hear what Paul says. He says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And, and so what Paul is saying here is I want you to think about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And how will he, in light of what he has done for us, how will he not also with Jesus freely give us all all things, everything we need for our soul, everything that we need for godliness, 
He's saying, hey, listen, know that God has provided that and he will freely give it to you. It's a promise that he makes. And the assurance of that is he's saying, hey, just look to the cross. Look at my free gift of God, the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. Look to that. Look what I have given you. And so as I read that this morning, as I think about that, that he has freely given us everything that we need for for life and godliness, as, as Peter will say in his second letter, as he has given us everything we need. Our justification our sanctification, our glorification, that one day we, we, we will see Christ. Everything we need. Paul says, just look to the cross. That tells me this morning, I can have hope. I can have the assurance of hope. And so where are my eyes today? Where are my eyes? What, what am I fixed upon because I hear this, I hear that, that I can have this hope, but, but reality is circumstances come, life gets hard, heartbreaks come, things catch us off guard that we're not expecting, and they come at us from, from, from different ways. And so I can't fix my hope on the circumstances. Let me think about this, I mean, I think about this first week of summer. Anyone have a, a week where you're like, man, does school start next week? <laughs> I mean, I love my kids. I, mean, I love my kids. I love them around. I love them being home more. I love that. But oh man, when they're together, <laughs> could, we, could you have three hours and you have three hours and you know? Sometimes it's like, man, nobody had that kind of week. Y'all are just laughing at me. <laughs> it, it, it can be tough. It can be rough. And then you think about, wow, we've got how many more months of this? How more weeks of this? It'd be tough. It'd be overwhelming. And circumstances can, can overcome us. But I think Peter, he's talking to this, this church in this letter, and And he wants to remind them, hey, listen, don't fix your eyes on the circumstances, right? And think about what he says here, 1 Peter 4.13. I want you to think what they were going through as he's writing about this living hope. Because he wasn't saying, hey, this is easy stuff, man. This is easy. You you got this. No, he was talking to a people who who were going through some hard stuff. And listen to what he says in 1 Peter 4.13. He says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. So what's their condition? He, he told us in the first few words, they're suffering. And he says, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, they're sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. They're being persecuted, many of them, in many different ways. And he tells them here, look past your troubles. He's not saying they're not real. No, but he says look past them to a living hope that you have in Jesus. And rejoice today. Why? He says, because I want you to look to the revelation that's coming of God's glory in Jesus Christ and rejoice at that. So what's he telling them? 
Don't get so fixed and bogged down in what's happening here. Remember, there's more to the story. We've talked about his death. We've talked about his resurrection, what Christ has done. But I want you to know, he's coming back. There's more to the story. And don't forget that Jesus is coming, and, and, and he's going to be revealed in all his glory. And when you see him, the Bible says we're going to be like him. And so all this suffering, all this pain, all this stuff that, that grabs our attention, and all these circumstances, hey, listen, you are going to overcome, and you're going to be with Jesus. And so remember that, all that confront us, all that comes against us, and it, when it feels like everything is mounted up against you, he says, listen, I want you to look to what Jesus is going to do, that he's coming back, and rejoice at that. And so hope daily knows that God is going to take care of us today. As we look to the great truth that he's coming back soon. And so what do we do when the circumstances do come? Well, Peter says, listen, in 1 Peter 5, 17, cast your anxiety, cast your cares upon Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. So this isn't just wishful thinking, guys. No, he's saying, hey, listen, as life is tough, as life is hard, pray. Give them over to Christ. And he will daily care for you. And as we're trusting God to daily care for us, we have hope. And we have hope instead of what? Instead of fear, right? You see, hope is, is the root of fearlessness. And these believers could have easily been overcome by fear, easily overcome by their circumstances. But he told them in 1 Peter 3.14, he says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. I I want you to know you're blessed, church, when you go through the things that you do because of the name of Christ and the name of righteousness, and you suffer. But he says, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Don't let fear overcome you. But even in the midst of those times, even when you suffer for the sake of Christ, remember your living hope and the Savior who has died, risen again, and is coming again. And when this happens, what's amazing is, is our hope becomes visible, right? Doesn't it? If we have that kind of hope, now, now I want to pause for a second. Peter's not saying in this letter, hey, go be Superman. He's not saying, go be Wonder Woman, right? By the way, I heard that movie isn't any good. Anybody? I hadn't seen it. But anyway, just a friend of mine told me that. So if you, you yeah, anyway. But if, if you read this, you're thinking, you know, all these circumstances come. And, and that, no, you're missing the point. What's our foundation? What are we hoping in? We're, we're hoping in Christ and what he's done for us. He's risen and that he's coming again. And, and so it's not us mustering up all this self-will and Okay, I got this. I'm going to overcome this. No, that's, that's not what he's saying. It's, it's this humble yourselves before the Lord. It's this I'm trusting God and what he has done for me and that he's coming again for me and that I'm casting my cares and I'm casting my anxiety, all the stuff of life upon him. 
And guess what happens as, as we do that, as we do that, our living hope, instead of fearlessness, our living hope starts to become visible. Visible. Now how, you might, might just ask, and then just two quick points before we go. I want you to hear this. According to Peter, what happens is this living hope is visible, and as we start trusting in Christ daily, what happens is it overflows to self-sacrificing love. It starts overflowing to good deeds. So, so it's, it's not that it starts overflowing to survival, and I, I made it. I just got to the next day. Now, for some of us, that, that may be what, what we just need for today, but, but it isn't just that's the goal. And it's not just simply, oh, well, I, I've, I've lived a good day today. I, I didn't sin today. I mean, that's good, right? And Peter will actually mention that letter. I mean, it's, it's good to, to refrain from evil. It's, it, that's good, but that's not the end goal. The end goal is that, that you and I would live this life of self-sacrificing love and that we would live for what's good and it would be expressed through this living hope that we have as God is daily caring for us, as God is taking care of us. Because why? Our, our, our hope is, is not in, in, in wealth. Our, our hope is, is not in um, all the things that the world holds on to. But it's in a Christ who, who we believe our future is secure. We're, we're satisfied in God. And, and when that's happening, our life is not about self-preservation. It's not about greedy control or self enhancement. It's not about worldly-mindedness. But instead, what happens is we start caring for others, and we start doing good for others. Because if our world is about all those other things, those things don't happen. We don't love people well, and it becomes about ourselves. But listen to what Peter said. In 1 Peter 3, 9, he says, that we're not to return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So he's saying this living hope overflows to a life of blessing others. Not only that, in 1 Peter 2.15, he says, For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so as you're living out this living hope, it even starts silencing the voices and the ignorance of other people that are foolish. And then in 1 Peter 2.12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, you as evildoers, they may, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, you have these that are even against you, that are slandering you. And as you live out righteousness, as you live out this living hope, they observe them. And even others might have their life changed. And so this living hope is to overflow into love and into good deeds. And then he says this, and I want us to think about this as we wrap up. Look at 1 Peter 3.15. And it goes back to this idea that we begin with today, that Jesus has built the church upon the confession of who he is, and that the gates of hell 
will not overpower the church. That you and I are to be the vehicle of this living hope. And listen to what he says in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set apart Jesus alone as the Lord of your life. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Jesus wants his disciples to have a heart of hope where they do not shrink back in fear because of their circumstances, but to have a hope in the midst of suffering and tough circumstances that the world even notices because they see something different. Now, why would the world ask about our hope? Why would they? They see something attractive, right? They see something different in us. Now, Peter doesn't say here how often the world's gonna ask, right? Some of you here this morning might hear this and like, hey, I haven't had anybody ask. What does that mean? Eh, don't, don't feel down about that. He didn't tell us how many times the world is going to ask. But he says, when they do ask, be ready. Be ready. Always be ready. But I want us to think about that question. Why would the world ask about our hope? Because our hope shows the world that we're not hoping in the security of this world. We're not hoping in the comfort of this world. We're not hoping in the approval of this world. We're not hoping in the wealth of this world. And they don't know where our fearlessness and our joy is coming from. And they don't know why we would love sacrificially. They don't know why we would do good even in the face of evil. And so that's why they would ask. And so he says, be ready. Be ready to share about the living hope that you have. And so church today, my whole goal this morning has been simply that you would have this hope, this living hope, this enduring hope, this unshakable, vibrant, alive hope. And that the circumstances of this world, the circumstances of life, that you would not let them overtake you, but that you would trust God that you would place the cares of your life, the cares of your world, the anxieties of your life upon him because he cares for you, he cares for you. That you would trust him and that as you do, that you would make your life about loving others, doing good. And when people ask you about that living hope, that you would tell them, just as Jesus was with his disciples that day and they just confessed and testified to who he was, that you would tell others, I have this living hope because of Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, who is the Savior. And tell them why. And that's what the church is to be. And nothing, the gates of hell will not overpower it. Believe that. Let me pray for you.